and welcome to Fact Schmacks. It's the podcast good enough to get you a C. Minus. My name's Matt, and I've got a story to tell. My name's Kev. I have a story to interrupt. <laughs> Kevin. Matthew. Did you know... If that's your that name. L- it is. Okay. Did you know that Latin for good enough is, is satis? Factory? <laughs> nope. Just satis. Just satis. Good enough. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. That's so lazy. <laughs> it is lazy. Or I don't know. Maybe we maybe we're tryhards. We really had to spruce spruce it up. Like they had it good enough, and we got to be like we got to add a whole ass factory on the back end of that thing. Perhaps maybe on our logo, we instead of saying uh, "meh good enough," we'll say "meh saddest." Yeah, I think maybe maybe a change is in order. Who knows? Perhaps changes in the air. Well, speaking of facts, what do you got for me, Kev? Well, I've got some fun band name facts for you. Oh. So, like, kind of like where did the band get the origin, uh, the, you know, the idea for the band name? Like, you know, Leonard Skinnerd uh, was a yeah. gym teacher. I did not know that. Yeah, Leonard Skinnerd was a gym teacher in the band. Like, they'd gone to high school, and it was like their high school gym teacher, so they named their band Leonard Skinnerd. Okay. Uh, so, factor schmacked, Matt. Yes. Sepultura. Easy mm-hmm. answer here. Sepultura means grave in Portuguese. But oh. the story is even better. Frontman okay. Max Cavalera came up with a word while translating the lyrics to Motorhead's Dancing on Your Grave into Portuguese. Okay. So, Motorhead inspired. Means came up grave. with the word? So I thought he, you said he, it was an existing word. Yeah, like came up with the word while translating. So he was translating into Portuguese. And then he's like, oh, sepultura is the word for grave. That's an awesome word. Sounds like he didn't come up with it at all. Well, some of these are just supposed to be fun and informative. <laughs> Continue, sometimes please. I just want to entertain. Didi Ramon took the name Ramones as a moniker after learning that Paul McCartney would check into hotels under a fake name, Paul Ramon. Oh, interesting. Well, that's that's something that if it's true, uh, our our producers Fact or know schmacks, right away. Matt, ah! Twenty-one Pilots. <laughs> While a positive and upbeat band for the most part, the name Twenty-One Pilots actually carries a somewhat sinister meaning. 21 Pilots is a reference to a 1997 Norwegian air disaster where a plane shuttling 21 pilots from Germany to Switzerland crashed into the Alps due to a combination of bad weather and faulty instrumentation. Interesting. Yes, TikTok, uh, my friend. Interesting. God, bad weather. 21 Pilots. I'm going to say that's the 21 Pilots one is the schmacked. Yeah. Me out. That wasn't a very <laughs> hard one at all. Uh, but actually, actually, so the origin of the name 21 Pilots is a reference to All My Sons, a play by Arthur Miller, Death of a Salesman author, of course. In it, yes. the main character allows a series of planes to take off, even though he knows they contain faulty parts, costing 21 pilots their lives. Oh. Give me a damn story. I'm going to make all it harder right. for you next week. That I promise. Okay. <laughs> no more wins for uh, you. 
Okay. Uh, we have we have we've kind of stopped keeping score, which is nice. I didn't I didn't never liked keeping score because a oh, it was hard to keep track of, and b I just do it for the love of the game. Kind of like how I did it to inform and entertain. <laughs> no, this is straight up competition. <laughs> you rhymed there, uh, convenient. Uh, and while uh, with silent lifting mind I've trod the high untrespassed sanctity of space put out my hand and touched the face of God. Uh, that is uh, from uh, a poem. Uh, the poem is High Flight by John Gillespie. You know, I like to start these things off with a little quote John there. Gillespie was my neighbor. Well, well, well. Like the guy who actually wrote that? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if you wrote I was like nine when they moved away. But okay. my neighbor's name Probably was John guy. Gillespie. That's hilarious. <laughs> Unlikely to be the same guy. He looks like Rand Smolnik from the Blue Jays. I don't know. All that's right. a bit of a lofty uh, <laughs> reference, but that was true. We went to a Blue Jays game with him, and everyone was like, whoa, it's Rand Smolnik and his kids. It's like, no, man. Lofty. Very yeah. nice. Very. Carry on. <clears throat> well, it's the evening of July 4th, 1928, and Lieutenant Marquet of the French 1st Battalion. Sorry, what's his name? Marquet. What was his rank? Lieutenant. Okay. Sounded like you said that funny for a sec. Hey, carry on. Sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, Of the French 1st Battalion, he's confused. You see, he's in charge of a beach. He's in in charge of a fort, really. The fort's called Fort (laughs) Mardik. He said fart. Fart? (laughs) I did say fart that time. (laughs) Uh, But a beach is part of this, uh, this fort. It's right outside Dunkirk, actually. Uh, and a plane just landed on his beach unexpectedly. This is a surprise plane, which historically surprise planes have been the worst kind of plane. Right. Now, out of this plane climb six people. There's Fred Baxter, Arthur Hodgson, Eileen Clark, Paula Bidelon, Donna Drew, or sorry, Donald Drew, uh, and Robert Little. Uh, and these people are all in obvious stress or distress. We will see. So he sends his, uh, you know, his troops out, and he rounds these six folks up, and he starts asking them questions. You know, like, who are you? What are you doing here? Whose plane is that? Sort of reasonable questions you might ask when somebody lands uh, a Fokker trimotor uh, on your beach. So like I said, these people are in pretty obvious distress. So these are very they- English names coming out of a German plane? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe it's maybe it was just a German engineered plane. I guess it is a German plane. <clears throat> yes, a okay. German engineered plane. Um, you know, we'll get to uh, the nationalities of uh, of the important players uh, okay. when we get there. Um, now, like I said, they're they're in obvious distress. They say that uh, you know they they are. Um, Employed by the owner of the plane, uh, who is not with them, because he disappeared from the plane. Um, now, they would not reveal who their boss was, oh. at least not initially. Um, you got Paula Bidelon and Eileen Clark, uh, the two ladies there. They were noted to have been crying. Arthur Hodgson was said to have been sweating excessively, and Fred Baxton's teeth were chattering incessantly. 
But after half an hour of being interrogated and questioned, there was four uh, of them or six. 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 Not yeah. no um no real um Comment notable on the other reports two. of how yeah <laughs> the how the other two, two were like, behaving. Oh, yeah, but these good. four in particular were noted to be behaving somewhat suspiciously anyways. Not, sus- you know, I don't know about suspicious, but they were behaving notably like they were quite uh, of stressed note. out. Yeah, yes. you kind of say it's uh, a little peculiar. So after a half an hour, they finally revealed the name of their employer, Alfred Lowenstein. So who the dun, hell is dun, Alfred dun, Lowenstein? Uh, I'd like to know. Right? Where'd he go? Alfred... Alfred Leonard Lowenstein was born in Brussels on the 11th of March, uh, 1877. His father was a banker, and Al followed in his footsteps, establishing his own banking concern, which is a very fancy way of saying guy who lends money uh, and who collects interest to lend other people money or, you know, basically a bank. He kind of became his own bank. Uh, And he became very wealthy by the age of 37 in 1914. Good for him. Good for him. Uh, He turned uh, that uh, existing success into greater success by being an early investor in electricity. So he made a ton of money. Uh, And uh, in his heyday in the 1920s, he was worth about 12 million pounds, which is about half a billion pounds in 2022 dollars. Wow. Which is a lot of money. Uh, That's a lot of cheddar. It was a lot of cheddar. It made him at one point the third richest man in the world. Huh. Yeah. How come I never heard of him? I guess that's a long time ago. That is a long time ago. Lots happened since then. But what's life without love? Well, old Al had something he loved besides money. Besides money, sorry. His horses. He uh, he bred race horses, one of whom, Easter Hero, was even a champion. And uh, he had a wife, too, Madeline. They slept in separate beds and it very much seemed like the sort of thing where she enjoyed having a very nice lifestyle and he enjoyed having a nice looking wife. But uh, man, those horses, he really loved his uh, his horses, his hooved friends. Okay. It's kind of weird, but carry on. Yeah. I, f- I feel like yeah, that's going to connect somewhere down the line. It actually doesn't necessarily, uh, well, just like I'm a wrong. character detail about him. Uh, now, <clears throat> as a big famous businessman, he made his share of enemies, a lot of whom apparently, uh, uh, sorry, a lot of them apparently, but he also had friends, allegedly friends like Arnold the Brain Rothstein, who is a legitimate businessman in New York City, dabbling in such legitimate businesses like racketeering, drug dealing, and fixing major sporting events. Wait, 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 wait. Those don't sound like legitimate businesses. <laughs> <laughs> sound like illegitimate businesses. I can't get anything by you. Sounds um, like some mafia this, shit there. This actually will absolutely not necessarily come up later, but it's interesting that he was, you know, close with the New York mobster, uh, and it was alleged that he was involved in some level of opiate dealing himself, but that nothing okay. ever came of that rumor. It was just sort of, uh, you know, sort of what the chattering class were saying, as they say. Okay. So it was that on July it was, 4th. Sorry, it was, you could say that it was alleged. It was alleged. Allegedly. Yes. Allegedly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, you know, and, and, <clears throat> you know, maybe it just as an aside, this is going to veer pretty close into true crime territory. So every, a lot of stuff is allegedly. Okay. I like that. It's a little different. Mm. Yeah. We've dabbled, but never, you know, we've too dabbled. Far. 
we might be getting doing more stuff sort of like this in the future, but you know, sure. it's a mystery. Choosy. It's a mystery. A, a history mystery. A history. That's right. Uh, so it was that on July fourth, nineteen twenty-eight, two limos rolled up to the Crichton Airport uh, and uh, stopped in front of a Fokker Trimotor private airplane. Seven people get out: Alfred Lowenstein, uh, Fred Baxter, who's his valet; Arthur Hodgson, his secretary. Now we're figuring out who these people are, right? Uh, Eileen, Cl- uh, Eileen. Uh, oh, I've clearly misspelled this. <laughs> I have to go back a slide to figure out what her name is. <laughs> We're just bringing the best quality podcast season oh my two. God. There it is. Eileen <laughs> Clark and Paul and Pytalod, both what did, what did you have it spelled as? Clard. Clard. <laughs> and I panicked in the moment and couldn't figure it out. <laughs> both uh, stenographers and uh, Donald Drew, the pilot, Robert Little, the mechanic. They all get out. Uh, the only leg- irregularity on their way into the plane is that apparently Lowenstein called a business associate of his from the airport to arrange a dinner the next week. Uh, then they boarded the plane, and Lowenstein was seen waving from the window of the plane to the commoners who were apparently watching him uh, take off. As oh, yeah, because uh, yeah, flight guess- was a big thing back then, right? I mean, it was only in its infancy. Like, when did uh, Kitty Hawk was only early 1900s? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess say like 1909, and they were gonna they were gonna fly um, over the channel to Brussels, and that's so you know, yeah, that's I don't know how long you would have been able to do that for, um, but uh, it would have been a pretty you know pretty luxurious thing. Oh yeah, that would have been huge. I mean, obviously they had planes during World War One. Yeah, hold on, not I, great. But I want to I want to just give a. <clears throat> We're, you we're making ahead. fantastic <laughs> podcasting here. Anyways. I just I just want to give a date for the first flight, but that's, sure. Know, I forget. Uh, inside the plane, uh, according to those on board, things were going uh, very routinely until a little after takeoff, when the plane was over the English Channel. Apparently, Alfred uh, stood up and moved to the rear of the plane, where there was a bathroom. Uh, no word on whether the plan was for a number one or a number two. Now, a little bit on the layout of this plane. Uh, it's a 50-foot-long plane with three prop motors, one on each wing and one on the nose, being a tri-motor. Uh, it's the 1920s equivalent of a private <laughs> jet, featured an unpressurized cabin, um, so behind, which was situated behind the cockpit, which also would have been unpressurized. Uh, and then there's a third section behind that cabin in the back containing a small bathroom on one side and the exit door on the other. Now, since the whole thing wasn't pressurized, it was loud in the cabin. Apparently, there had been steps taken on this particular plane to try and make it a little quieter because he liked to work while he was on his plane, like yeah. to you know be able to uh, dictate and oh whatnot. So there's really only so much you can do. The whole plane was not pressurized, or part of it was. No, none of it was pressurized. Of it was I'm pressurized. just kind of reemphasizing so you that couldn't in go this day like and age, super no... high. Exactly. So this yeah. thing's flying at four thousand feet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as flight goes, uh, December seventeenth, nineteen o three, was the first flight. Yeah, so and we're less than twelve seconds from twelve seconds to private jets that or private not jets, private plane. Yeah, uh, that can fly over the the channel is is pretty cool. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so, anyways, Alfred stood up and he hit the can, 
And after 15 or 20 minutes or so, uh, you know, the, the folks in the cabin noticed he'd been gone for a while. Maybe he's not feeling well, you know. It didn't take that long to fly over the channel. So uh, Fred Baxter wound up going to the back to see if everything was okay. He gets back there and he knocks on the door of the latrine and he gets no response. Maybe they called it the privy. Maybe they did. Let's go with privy. I like that. Yeah, uh, so British. he knocks again. No response. Works up the courage. And finally, he just opens the door and he finds the bathroom empty. Lowenstein's nowhere to be found. And it's apparently then that he noticed the exit door was flapping in the wind. Anyways, Baxter goes, runs to the front of the plane, into the uh, cockpit, and tries to inform the pilots. Pilot's apparently unable to hear him, so he uh, has to write a note that says, Captain's gone, or something like that, and he flashes it in front of the face of the, the pilot. Now, apparently at this point, from, from what I can gather from the timeline, they are over the channel at this point. They are most of the way to their destination, which is an airport in Brussels. Uh, but at that point, they circle back and they land on a beach in France, uh, which happened to be just outside of Bel um, Dunkirk, sorry, and right. uh, hence end up captives of the French army. And so once the cat's out of the bag that the world's third richest man, uh, sorry, third richest man had apparently Mr. Magood his way out of an airplane, uh, you know, word got around fast. Presses all over it, but in a weird way, they're like, you know, nobody in his immediate circle seems to really care all that much. Uh, his wife, Madeline, seems to only really care about getting her money out of, uh, you know, out of the estate. She's trying to get the estate process started, but she can't because there's not a body and nobody's really 100% sure if he's actually dead. So her... Absent anything else happening, she would have to wait like seven years. So, you know, mm. uh, what she did was offer a reward for anyone who found the body. In the Pantheon of, or Pantheon of Good Marriages, I get the feeling this one does not feature. Um, I don't think so. There were rumors reported in the press, apparently, of someone seeing a guy parachuting uh, in the area, and someone else seeing a boat in the area. Lots of hearsay and innuendo, but nothing really coming out of it. So, like, he D.B. Coopered his way out of a Fokker? <laughs> Who knows? Well, or did he D.B. Cooper his way out of a Fokker? We'll get into that. So the six passengers, they're shoved in front of a Belgian judge for an inquiry, and they present their side of the story, you know, pretty much what they, what I had just gone over. They, you know, go to the back, find the door flapping open the uh the the mechanic and the pilot say that when they were flying that plane you know this is because this is a few days later they were fl they flew the plane back to england and when they did it they took turns and went to the back and were able to open and close the door easily so the judge lacking uh any other uh any other information just kind of went with it so the official finding of that inquiry was essentially death by misadventure uh, he just basically walked out of the bathroom or maybe never made it to the bathroom, turned right instead of left. Um, so this is daytime? Uh, no, nighttime. This was nighttime. This and was they, nighttime. They landed on a beach at night or yeah. at dawn? I don't necessarily know because I couldn't find exact time frames. It might have been dawn by the time they landed. I don't think so because it wasn't. It wouldn't have been a very long flight. That to me... Seems weird because 
you're landing a plane on a beach in the middle of the night? Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, the morning by a the beach, time they landed. I don't know. I don't know. I think it would be hard to see, and who knows what's on the beach? I mean, that's a very precarious thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it must not have been. It must have been the day or the morning. So I was going to say daytime. If that thing's got a window on it, surely to God, you know, that's not where the bathroom is. Also, that it, it would did. be on the exterior of the plane. Right. It did have a window, and the bathroom door did not. Right. For obvious reasons. Sure. It would be. <laughs> kind of you don't put a window in the privy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> oh, the shenanigans that would happen. Um, so yeah, that that was their finding that he basically at one point just opened the wrong door and walked right out of the plane like somebody walking into an elevator shaft, and that's uh, yeah. The aviation uh, industry, on the other hand, uh, was not convinced. Uh, they said that this would be the first time that anybody would have ever made such a mistake, uh, and nobody was sure that it was even possible to open that door mid-flight. Um, there was a colonel who told the Toronto Daily Mail that, uh, you know, you A, everybody on the plane would know the second the door was opened, and B, as soon as you got it open a crack, um, because of the you know pressure trying to equalize, it would slam right shut. Right. Um, there was a the or sorry the the plane door was examined by the chief inspector of the UK Air Ministry and found to be in perfect working order. Uh, Norman W. Ray, a reporter, took a similar plane up a thousand feet in the air and did his absolute damnedest to get the door open mid-flight. He couldn't get the thing to budge using all of his might, and apparently he went so far as to take as, as much of a run at the door as he could. He got it to open about three inches, and then it slammed shut. Oh, my God. Can you imagine testing that thing? <laughs> I'm going to run at this now, door. I have to imagine he had a harness on that wouldn't have let him get too far <laughs> away, but, like, man, the balls on that guy. That would have looked pretty funny. <laughs> But yeah, so it's it seems like it would have been very difficult, if not impossible, for a single person to have opened that door if it was a proper door. Like, now, oh, sorry. Looking at this um, plane, I think of like the kind of transport planes that they would have almost World War II era. Yeah. But that's not what this is. It's a little bit bigger. Mm. Or maybe not a little bit bigger, but it's I'd say if anything it's it almost is like like I don't even could you stand up in it? It doesn't um, seem that like that big of a plane. Like it's, oh, sorry. Did you see World War Two era transport? I'm picturing like a World War Two era transport, like the sorry, small like yeah. dozen people that can get onto it. Yeah, but I'm Yo, looking yeah, a at, little bit smaller than that. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at a picture of what right now. Or I don't to know. Maybe if you head. ripped out, maybe if you ripped out the latrine, it's hard to see because in these pictures that I'm looking at, there's no person for scale. But uh, I'm Do you see it's like wicker chairs in there. Yeah. But I'm just I'm trying to picture <laughs> it looks like, like there's lawn chairs set like up. There's in a it. there's a bathroom back there and shit. Like a, it's weird to picture, but I yeah, next it to looks, a, yeah, maybe it is pretty big next to a vehicle there. Yeah. It's it just, just doesn't look like it looks like a big small plane. That's yeah, it looks like a big small it looks like a like a big not Cessna, but like that kind of like 
you know. Yeah, because the, any plane that's designed like that that you see now is smaller, so that w- when you see it, yeah. you transpose it in your mind. Yeah, but yeah, it there's seems like, like it, a small plane to you, but I guess it wouldn't be. It would be. Yeah, it fits big. seven or eight people comfortably. Yeah, you can see the uh, windows on the side. I'm sure that uh, by the time that I do the uh, little episode artwork, there will be a picture of it on there. If you, I don't think the episode artwork shows up in, in Apple, but uh, everywhere else you should be able to see that. Yeah, I'll try, try and, and put figure a little, out a way to get the podcast uh, notes or something. Get a no, link. no, yeah, no, I will. I, I have a little pad of paper here. Uh, we're gonna oh. link, link the Fokker. <laughs> link that, <laughs> link that Fokker, link that Fokker. Ah, ding, ding, ding! I was waiting for a Fokker joke. <laughs> <laughs> Check the notes for the Fokker link. All right, carry on. Now on uh, July nineteenth, um, the uh, a body is found by some fishermen. Wow, it's identified as the body of Lowenstein by the personalized wristwatch still attached to attached to his wrist of all places. Um, his wife ordered a private autopsy be done. It of took two two months for that to happen. Apparently, I don't know if that's a long time for the standards of the day, but it seems like it would be uh, for now. But that that is what went down. Came back that he'd broken every bone in his body, but had been alive when he'd hit the water, which is he drowned. A horrifying thought. Um, and uh, also. Uh, He'd had some alcohol in his system, which is was apparently odd for him, as he was a teetotaler, which, uh, as you may know, is somebody who does not drink. Okay. Now, Madeline had him buried in an unmarked grave and seemed to move on with her life pretty quickly. She, in fact, did not even attend the funeral. Uh, and the case really was never picked up by anybody because it happened midair between countries you know they landed in france he was belgian they left from england they all kind of like looked at each other and went well if someone else wants to do something about it uh so that's kind of how things were left so now we get into the theories (laughs) all right (laughs) so have you developed a personal theory yourself I've got I've got some I the yeah I've got one that I favor above the others. All right, I'm gonna see if it if it lines up with what I'm thinking. All right, so what the hell happened here? Right, the first theory we look Indeed. at is uh, the null hypothesis, which was he was clumsy and just simply went through the wrong door. Uh, his wife and business associates said he had been getting increasingly absent-minded lately, but the whole like doors almost impossible for a single person to open makes me makes it hard for me to believe that he just, you know, did that by accident. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you think about the accidental hypothesis? I don't, I mean, it's hard for me to think of, uh, I mean, if you got disoriented, if you were inebriated or if you were maybe like this guy's older, how old is this guy when he dies? Uh, he is, in his fifties, like fifty. Let me see that's it, that's 24. awfully young for I would think awfully young for uh, Alzheimer dementia. Uh, yeah. There's that thing called sundowners, where it's like a nighttime disorientation people get. I don't okay, know if familiar with that? Because I asked I am day not. or night. Uh, it's kind of weird to me to think that you would just step out of a plane. I think I think when you're on a plane, 
if you're like me, you, you got to be pretty cognizant of, hey, I'm on a plane. Yeah. And everywhere inside the plane is not in the plane. <laughs> That's not good. Were there... Uh, yeah. Now, did they have parachutes on these planes? Like uh, you would have life preservers on a lifeboat? God, that's, man, that's such a great question. I don't <laughs> think with the, the fact the door is so damn hard to open, I don't know. Um, great question. Uh, yeah. I'd feel a lot better about flying in a commercial airliner if they had parachutes, like under yeah, the seat. They've they looked into like, it and it's just not feasible. Like everyone gets sucked into the jet engines. What? Now, although give me give me the choice between uh, going down with the plane or just jumping into the jet engine, I'm not sure which I'd pick. Dude, I mean, you could jump out the back, DB Cooper style. Uh, maybe. Did you? What did you look into this? How do you know that? That's an interesting fact. Is this part of your paranoia for travel? Um, <laughs> you looked at you're like, can I get a parachute on a seven forty seven? No, I just I, at some point I just learned that like I don't know in some sort of like, why don't, why is news article? Why isn't there parachutes <coughs> on commercial planes? And the, the answer oh, okay. was basically they looked into it and it's very hard to coordinate people and teach them how to parachute. And it's unclear if the um, outcomes would be any better. Dude, I would 100% rather take the parachute. Anyhow, absolutely. Uh, I don't absolutely. really buy the whole accidental thing. It seems no. to me just too, too hard to actually pull off and like, if you open a door thinking that you're either going to the shitter or you're going back to the cabin and all of a sudden you're hit with like, I don't know what the wind speed would be up there, but it would be amount of yeah, I'd be like, uh, yeah, I'd be like, Have oh, that's seen, the uh, wrong door. Have you ever seen, I think you should leave. It's a, oh no, of course you don't. You don't like comedy. Uh, what? There's a, what does the, that mean? The opening, you just don't like comedy. Uh, I like comedy. You don't like sketch comedy, I should no, say. Sorry, I don't like sketch comedy. Yeah, the the opening bit is guy just like finishing up a, a job interview, and he goes to to leave, and the door is clearly you're supposed to push it, but he pulls on it by accident. The guy who's who was doing the interview for him says, "Oh, I think you were supposed to push it." And he goes, "He like insists, no, it goes both ways," and the whole thing is him just doing this absolute Herculean effort to just break the door and pull it the opposite way. There's like spit coming out of his mouth. He's just locking eyes with the guy the whole time. Finally, it breaks and opens and he's, okay, see you later. Like that's what it would be like (laughs) to try and get that open. Right? Like, yeah, I just don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I want to hear more about this mob stuff. Uh, Am I getting ahead of us? Yeah, so there right. are, there are some people who uh, think that he may have taken his own life because um, because apparently you know people are talking about this mob connection. He, and also people said his his business life was more complicated than he let on because he had some debt. But I think like having debt is just the way those people operate. Like, sure, they leverage assets, take on debt. You know, Elon Musk is how rich and he has how much debt for you know to buy Twitter. What's his actual cash flow rate like? Yeah. How much could he pull uh, out of the bank right now? Yeah. So some Probably people have said maybe he uh maybe he did that. I again I you have the same problem though that you can't open the door. So unless he had the people on the plane help him open the door, which is a morbid thing to ask people, you know. There's easier ways to do it. Yeah. And to have to get six people close to you to volunteer, four people, I guess, close to you and two pilots. 
Yeah, or at least, I don't know, one, like maybe, the, you know, the guy who goes to check on him, Fred Baxter, he's really going to help him open the door. But I don't buy that. No. Don't buy it for a second, frankly. No. And no. to know that, you'd have to have tried it once. Yep. Yeah, no. I don't I don't buy it. I don't buy it. There's a lot of holes in that. It's like the Swiss cheese of theories. Yeah. No, there's there's two scenarios that are likely in my opinion. And the first one just falls into a bucket. Murder. Murder. Most foul. Okay, now what's the deal here? Let's say, well, there's and like I said, this is kind of a bucket because you can break this down. Do the people inside the plane know? There's maybe a way where they don't know. We were talking about parachutes and some guy who was seen parachuting. Let's say maybe sure, yeah, somebody let's talk was about that. Let's That's a rare thing this. for the day. Yeah, maybe somebody was already hiding on that plane. Maybe somebody was already on the plane before they took off. And maybe when Lowenstein went to go to the bathroom, mm, I don't like this theory at all because it sounds dumb. There's too much riding on him going Being to the, the bathroom. Being the first one to right? go to the bathroom, yeah. Being, now, maybe they you know, they found alcohol in the system, so maybe, I don't know, they spiked a drink or something, hoping that he would he nah, wouldn't feel well. Nah, that's a and, terrible plot for murder. That's the worst plot. Like, that's it's the most Columbo-like. Complicated. Not even, man. That's the most complicated, convoluted murder. Like, just shoot the guy. I'm gonna put some. I'm gonna put some booze in his, in his tea, to make sure that he has to go pee pee on the plane, and then I'm going right. to pull him out. And it's not it's stupid. Yeah, how many times are you waiting terrible. on that plane? How many how many flights you've been on hoping ah, that he's the first one that takes a tinkle? So the idea is that he goes out with with uh, you know uses some sort of special tool to open the door, goes out with Lowenstein. He's got a parachute. Lowenstein doesn't. That's Bob's your te- uncle. Uh, terrible, terrible theory. Terrible. 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 The more likely thing is that the people who were in the plane, not more likely, but if it is murder, the more likely thing is the people on the plane were involved in some way. It's hard nobody to get ever con- Nobody ever confessed? Nobody ever confessed. I don't there was, for one um, minute believe that. Oh, there was the, uh, the, what, the what, either the pilot or the mechanic said at one point they... And this goes to the alcohol thing that that when he went up to go to the bathroom, like he just looked out of it, like he stood up and he took off his jacket and his tie, like I don't know. But as as I saw someone else point out, like I don't know, maybe he was going to have the deuce of his life and just knew that he had to loosen up. Uh, you know what? That's you don't gonna know. Bring you can't. Me, that that actually makes me think of like a very kind of dark fact, uh, which would bring us to probably our next theory is suicide. Oh, we already went over. We, yeah, we went over suicide, but like that that brings me back to that because one of the things that I I heard somewhere and uh I, f- I found it really morbid is that a lot of times people when they commit suicide will actually undress down to their underwear. It's a thing about just being comfortable before you die. And that would also sure. kind of explain the booze because maybe he needed to just have the courage so he had some drinks. Maybe. But once again, there's easier ways to do it, but maybe, you know, he hated his wife and thought, well, if there's no body, she gets no money and everything's a win. Now, there is, there is a theory because there's, 
there's a lot that goes into this, right? There's a lot. Why did the pilot here. turn around and land on the beach in the first place when yeah, he, he might yeah, have yeah, even yeah. been closer to the airport than the beach? Okay. Was it that there was something they needed to do or ditch without being seen or at least before anybody saw them? One theory is that there was a false door, that they swapped the door with one that was broken, and then when they landed somewhere, they swapped it back. Makes it just easier to push them out. I don't know. I still don't buy it. Or that they took the door right off and had to reattach it before anyone saw uh, them. I don't buy it. It's the whole thing is weird, right? That would maybe explain, you know, the chattering teeth and all that. Cause it, it would maybe get that much colder. But I mean, these things aren't pressurized to begin with. They're at 4,000 feet. It's yeah. May at night. So it's cold. So these people yeah. are probably dressed for the elements. But I don't think the skin of that uh, thing would make much difference between uh, the door open and door closed. I mean, we're not yeah. talking about, we're talking about a couple degrees. Maybe it is a lot, but I don't see it being that much colder. Uh, now, what if? I don't know. This is weird. This is a weird this, one. Right? Where'd every you find which, this? Uh, every which way you yeah, look at it, none of it really adds up, right? No. Now, one thing that doesn't add up to me is that his body was identified based on his wristwatch. Sure. And he never drank. Okay. Is anybody sure? It's not like they identified it based on DNA, DNA or yeah, dental yeah, records. Yeah. Is anybody sure that he really died? And didn't Here's the death. thing, my friend. I think it is a whole lot easier to pay people to keep the sort of secret where this guy's really dead or this guy's really alive. You know, okay. I think it's easier to pay to keep that sort of secret. Now, the thing that gets in the way of that theory is whoever landed in the water was alive when they landed, right? Okay, so you're gonna fake your death, right? Fake your death, but you have to murder somebody in the process, or you find somebody who's already dead. But that's and that's the thing; it was or, a private autopsy, so it could have been. Uh, or the autopsy could have been made to fit. The narrative, but because what, it was a private autopsy. Make, but then why add the alcohol thing? Plausible, uh, like a plausible uh, reason for why he might have had the misstep or the mistake, or possibly to kind of suggest something like a suicide. Or is that a character? Just, there is no explanation that f- that perfectly fits every bit of evidence. In my this is opinion, a true history's mystery. This is a history's mystery. I personally, if I'm going to put my money on anything, it's going to be that he faked his own death. That really, yeah. I think it let he, I don't know, the wife got what they want, maybe. So what does he do? He fakes his death and then he just what uh, goes on to live as a pauper in Belgium with no money, like. No, he probably doesn't go to Belgium. He probably takes enough money to live like a king in Tahiti. Okay. So rolling back to our old mafia friend here. Like, what do you think? <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Uh, I got a, 
I kind of lean. That's what we have our fancy cough buttons for, Kevin. I know. I dude, it's my first time using it. I forgot to use it. <laughs> I've used it a few times. I'm gonna shame and, you. And uh, yeah, whatever it happens. Uh, so I lean towards either suicide or the uh, fake a death situation. Now, now, if it's suicide, how does he get the door open? I don't know, man. They must have, you must have been able to open these doors. Apparently, it was impossible for one person to do. I mean, that would be a lot. I mean, imagine trying because to open the, your car door on the highway. Well, but you're, you know, going faster than that. Exactly. That's and there what is, I mean. even if you're unpressurized, like there still would be a pref, uh, a pressure differential if, because you'd be right in the, the, um, the slipstream of the yeah, propellers. Yeah. yeah. For sure. That's how wings yeah. work, man. There's a di- pressure difference between the top and bottom of the wing by that because of the airflow. Yeah, so you're right behind that. So apparently, it's the strips. The slipstream would force the door closed as soon as he opened it. So I almost uh, think the only way it could happen is if you took the door right off. I don't know. That's weird, man. It's definitely it's very thought provoking, and it's kind of one of those things where it's a cool story, uh, and I'm interesting. I'm interested to, to learn more about it and stuff. But it almost sucks sometimes that there's no, like, answer. You know, it's like... <laughs> yeah, I would love to know. Yeah, it would be great to uh, to know. Like, it, you know. The D.B. Cooper made one... a very, very big show of coughing with his little clear, with his mute button on. Clearing my throat. Well, I did yeah. listen. I listened back to our, uh, our Headless Valley uh, episode about the Nahani. And I did clear my throat an awful lot. I was just getting over COVID when we recorded that. So it was yeah, a pretty rough episode. <laughs> I just roll out a little apology. We have very nice little uh, mute buttons now to to stop that from happening. You basically, uh, you cleared your throat like it was a comma. You could, you could basically make a drinking game out of it and you'd be shittered by the end of it. But it's, oh. it's a cool story, though. I still stand by that be story being pretty five cool. five minutes. Yeah. Hey, man, it was COVID. Strange times. I was very sick. Very, very sick that week. Yeah. And, Sickest and, I've ever been in my life. And we're so grateful that you're all better. I don't know what I'd do without you. You're my special guy. <laughs> well, Matt, uh, I mean, I'd love to hear what people think. Uh, if anybody's uh, active on the Facebook or the Twitter Give us a shout and let us know what your theory is because I'd, I'd like to hear what different people think about this because, uh, like, I lean towards the suicide or fake death. I don't – it doesn't sound like murder to me. Uh, it sounds like he was trying to maybe get away from some bad business shit, bad marriage. But I don't know, man. A 50-something-year-old millionaire jumping out of a plane in the dark in the English Channel, how do you guarantee that you're going to land – I don't see him – Escaping DB Cooper style out of a plane—that's too far. I don't think uh, I don't think a rich businessman's going to do that. Yeah, I don't see that. The whole none of it makes sense to me. No, it's compelling. It's very compelling. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So yeah, if you're listening, give us a shout on Facebook. Give us a shout on Twitter. Wherever, let us know what you think. 
I'm curious. And I think there's going to be more uh, of you know kind of mystery style episodes in the future. I find Scooby them really Doo fun. Scooby Doo episodes. Let's call them Scooby Doo episodes. Yeah, love it. Love it. Even though it's kind of a tease because there's no real resolution, well, but it is fun to fun to tease the brain. It gets your brain, yeah. It gets your brain going and whatever. It gets your brain going. Uh, Stay in age. I have a non sequitur. I have two, two closing, two Kev's closing facts here. Uh, one's not really a fact, more of just an observation that I, I was brought to my attention when I was looking for a fact, and uh, okay. I need to share it with you. If I say Pacific Ocean, yes. Do you find it funny that every C that comes up in that those two words is pronounced differently? It's funny. Yeah, that is funny. Doesn't that make English a hard? Uh, you can understand why English would be a hard language to word uh, learn oh. <laughs> to yeah. word uh, because yeah, like you have one letter and it has three different uh, usages in one yeah. kind of very you know Pacific Ocean. For uh, in in contrast to like I took uh, Italian in uh, university at one point, and they literally literally start at here's how you pronounce the letters, and when you read it, you just make those sounds. You know, with very few exceptions, you just make the sounds that the letters are supposed to make. The only one is C. C is really interesting. Like C I makes a C H sound, like ciao. Right. Um, right. Um, or, uh, CH makes like a K sound like, but yeah, for the, other than that, in Italian, you basically just the, the letter sounds, you just make those sounds as you read the word and you can basically get through it. It's, it's a fun language in a lot of ways. Huh. Interesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I got a little fact of my own to well, right there back you at go. you. <laughs> All right, so here's my closing fact. Walt Disney World is a big place. Canada sure is. It's way bigger. Yeah. It In sure fact, is. this nation is so massive with 3.8 million square miles. It's the second largest country coming after Russia at 6.6 million square miles. Uh-huh. It's a little bigger than the States, which weighs in at 3.7 million square miles. Uh-huh. I can't but wait to this, see where this is this going. <laughs> Disney would fit in Canada 81,975 times. Just a weird little fact. But it's curious too. I always thought it well, seems like it should fit more. <laughs> I feel like what? there should be like like a quarter million Disneylands in Canada. What? Yeah. This is a fact that you're presenting us. Yes, with? I love this idea. Eighty-one thousand Walt Disneylands could fit in Canada. How fucking dumb is that fact? That's I guess, dude. How can you not be so excited about this? It's eighty-one thousand nine hundred and seventy-five Walt Disney Worlds could fit in Canada. I feel like you're doing a bit, and the bit is how fucking bad this fact is. <laughs> Anyhow, that's how we roll around here. I found that fast. You don't find that fascinating? 81,000? Don't you ever like to get, like, do your gazintas? Like, the earth Can you goes say 81,000 again? <laughs> 
That's what I'm talking about. It's like when they're like, you could fit a hundred million thousand Earths in the sun. Well, you could fit 81,975 Walt Disney Worlds in Canada. But I don't. Okay, but I've got a reason. All right. Thank so you. Here's why that's dumb. Goodbye. I've got, no. No, I've got a reasonable idea of go. how big the world is. I don't really know how big Walt Disney World is. Apparently we'll just fade big. out on me. We'll just fade out on me continuing to argue. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably the best uh, play. <laughs> what a terrible fact! That's really <laughs> shitty. <laughs> Uh, good times. <laughs> <laughs> this is killing you. <laughs> what made you go with that? I don't know. I just I was like, you know what? That's kind of fun. I was like, it just was kind of dumb. It was dumb and like, just like, it's like the whole non sequitur thing. It was just a stupid r- random fact. Like 81,970 Walt Disney Worlds fit in Canada. <laughs> I've kept expecting that, like, there'd be some significance to no. the number. No, or... dude, no. Nothing. It's a dumb fact. Uh, That's what I do. Thank you for listening to Fact Smacks. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you want to hear more, be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash facts schmacks. Or you can check us out on Facebook or on YouTube or on twitter.com at factschmackedpod. We also have a website, factschmacks.xyz, because we know you haven't had enough yet. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>